horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life on the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This ends the reading of God's blessed word. And at this time, children can be dismissed to the little landing. Thank you so much. Good morning, faith family at the landing. How thankful I am for Pastor Andrew's message last week. Go back and listen to it if you haven't had the chance to go hear Pastor Andrew preaching on Mark 1. I am so thankful to be a part of a team where when my wife and daughter and I are not well and I can't come to church, we get to sit in and hear a great message by live stream. And uh, the team of the body of Christ serves mightily and powerfully and the Lord is glorified. Let's pray before we dive into Revelation 13. Father, I pray for supernatural help from your Holy Spirit now. For us, as we listen and think and ponder and as I speak as to what I, I'm convinced you've shown me from Revelation 13, 1 to 10. Thank you for this point in the book of Revelation that you've brought us to. And thank you so much for the lessons, not only for today, but for the future. You will give to us the joys, the equipping you'll give to us from this passage right now today. I pray that you would ready us for the day when we will be called to judgment and crisis, and to a moment of examination where we will be pressured to say we worship the beast. And in rock-solid, God-given faith, we will refuse and worship you, O Christ, alone. Ready us for that day by putting weight and seriousness and intentionality and power to our proclamation of Jesus Christ being Lord. And I worship him in our mouths right now. In Jesus' name and for his global worship, I pray these things. Amen. We are all worshipers, you know that. We are all worshipers. It's what it means to be part of the human condition. A human being is a worshiper. And you can always tell what you worship by what comes out of your mouth and what you ultimately bow before, what you fear, and what you give thanks and glory for, what you will make sacrifices to in order to preserve. That's what you worship. A friend of mine recently gave me a copy of an old book that I highly recommend to every one of you. It's called The Life of God and the Soul of Man by Henry Skugel. 
How'd you like to have a last name like that? Henry Skugel. Sounds like a character out of Tolkien. The life of God in the soul of man. Here's what Skugel says. The worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. The worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. So if you worship glazed donuts, you've got a really small soul. If you worship your country or your family or freedom or military power or your religion or your church, your soul might be a little bit bigger, but it's still really small. If you worship the infinite glory of Almighty God, if He is the object of your right and true worship, then your soul enlarges to match His. Skugel said, the worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. So God worships the most worthy being conceivable, worthy of His worship, which is Himself. God worships God. Starting there helps you get all kinds of errors out of your thinking. Because if God worships God, His soul infinitely and forever and eternity has enlarged to match the worth of His own being, and He has worshipped Himself forever. It is only right for Him to do so. Were He to worship anything less, He would be an idolater. So all those who are human beings made in His image, this isn't dolphins or, or, or other animals like, like your dog. This isn't spirits, though they must worship God as well. This is human beings made in the image of God. Our charge is to worship God as He worships Himself. Our charge is to glorify God with all that we are, all that we have in our mind, our soul, our heart, our body, and our strength, so that we worship God as He worships God. That's what believers will do throughout eternity as we gather ourselves into heaven. That's why we saw at the end of Revelation chapter 11 that picture, that glimpse through the doorway into heaven of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat of God, and Christ being worshipped by all those dwelling in heaven for eternity. Sin, by its very nature, says, I think God's holding back. I don't think He knows everything. I think His rules are outdated. I think there's something questionable about him. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test and see if he really is worthy of worship. I'm going to put him up against something else that looks pretty attractive to me. And sin then says, no, God, you don't get all my worship. I'm giving a little bit over here. This is what I think is really satisfying. In fact, I'd like to live in an arrangement with you, God, where I, I use you when I need you. Thanks for being there. You're a part of my life. You're an important part of my life. This is what I really want to spend my time on over here. I've got important causes. I've got ministries. I've got family. I've got freedom. I've got liberty. I've got uh, my own understanding of you. I've got other things over here that require my greatest attention and sacrifice. That's what sin sounds like. You see the real problem? It's not just diverting worship away from God. It's the, the unexamined thought of putting yourself in the place of a complete and unquestionable judge. It's insidious. 
how sin enters the heart and the mind. We begin to question God, and the minute we begin to question God, we've erected ourselves as the final arbiter and judge of reality. No wonder then that the showdown of the universe that's coming, it it happens now, it maybe has happened this week for you, maybe it's going to happen this coming week, maybe it's happening in your family or online or even in close relationships, the showdown of the universe that we're anticipating that Revelation 13 makes so plain is who will you open your mouth to worship boldly, full-throated, publicly, and with all your heart? Who gets all your worship no matter what the cost? You can see, don't you feel it sometimes? Unholy, beast-like spirits at work in our culture, wanting us, pressuring us, setting us up to say things that we don't feel right about saying? Do you feel that? The reason why they need us to say something we don't want to say is because you worship with your mouth open and your heart beating what you prize and treasure highest and most. It's a worship encounter, a worship battle in the end. Worshiping God out in public in the face of worldwide pressure to worship an evil illusion, that will be the test for the church in the very worst days yet to come. Not documents you've signed, not membership roles consulted, not party affiliations, not receipts of where you gave your money. No, the very dividing line will be, how do you open your mouth to worship the living God? That's why it's such a kindness from the Lord. There's multiple kindnesses going on here. One is, it's so good for God to give us revelation to say, get ready. Get ready because what I'm going to ask of you is a crisis moment of worship where you will say with all your heart and not be doubting it, Jesus is Lord and I worship him. Satan can say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord and I love it that he's Lord. I worship him. When the pressure will be, don't you see, there's been this person, this real live flesh and blood person, you Christians call the son of lawlessness, the son of destruction, the man of lawlessness, the antichrist, the beast, but, but look at what he's done. He's, he's been able to remove religion. Country boundaries. He's been able to remove the family, the nuclear family. He's even gone, done away with gender. And in the process, he's gotten rid of heaven and hell. And with the, the backing track of John Lennon's Imagine going on, he says, We are all united together. As one world. They, they, they tried to kill me, but they couldn't. I'm still alive. I'm the one worthy of all your affection, treasuring, praise, and worship. Don't you see how many millions have joined me? Would you really stand against the hordes that are coming to join me? 
Do you realize the cost you will endure if you stand against this entire global internet propaganda-fueled, artificially intelligent, structured gathering of one world around this person that you insist on calling the beast when he's really a very winsome fellow. Such a kindness that God tells us this in advance. Such a kindness that God prepares us for this. A a second kindness, such a kindness that Christ has has come and He's given us this glorious gospel and we have a a vision 2,000 years ago of Him hanging on the cross and then being taken down from the cross, buried, and on the third day rising again. We have a vision of the beauty of Christ so that, like Paul says, we with unveiled face might behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So as Christ is exalted in our songs and in our preaching and teaching and conversations, in all our art and in all our thinking and in all our teaching and in all our relationships, we have such a grace to equip and protect us so that we can full-throated open our mouth right now today. Oh, I hope you can. I hope you can. Jesus Christ is Lord and I worship Him. I hope you can say that. I hope every member of your family can say that. I hope the the spirit of the beast isn't moving in to create a a doubt and an unbelief and a silence that's just like a muzzle on the mouth where the person will just stand there and grit their teeth and say, no way am I going to say that, and I'm certainly not going to sing it. There's wars to be fought. There's hatred to enact. There's Death deserved. There's justice to be grabbed by the power of my hand. After John chapter 11, Revelation chapter 11, John writes in chapter 12 this glimpse of the grand narrative of history. A beautiful woman, God's people, giving birth, devil hating the birth of the son, the one who would rule in all power and authority. So God scoops the son up to himself. That's the Christ event of 2,000 years ago. And the devil is furious, but he's defeated by the Christ event. And so he, he has a mortal and fatal wound, and he pursues after the woman whom he now hates because she's protected and loved by God in the wilderness. That's the time we're in right now, the 42 months. So this hobbled, bleeding, Weakening, mortally wounded devil retreats, and in his hatred for the church, the people of God, and in his hatred for God, he calls forth out of the ocean a beast. Maybe John had in mind the great Roman armies that would sail across the ocean and come to lands and take over them. Surely there's a, an allusion here to evil governments of the world, not just Rome, not just Babylon, not just Jerusalem or America or Nazi Germany or any of the evil governments of the world, communist China, Soviet Europe, Soviet Russia, so on and so forth. This person, this beast, as it were, comes out of the water, and as you notice in verses 1 through 4, this beast has the very look of the devil himself, almost mirroring him. What I see happening in Revelation 13 is a false 
trinity, a phony trinity, just as there is the true Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in all their infinite glory. Here there is a a broken down, coughing, wheezing, spitting old devil and his two beasts. We'll see the second one next week. It's like going to Chinatown on New Year's and seeing a dragon made out of rice paper and sticks and everybody bowing before it. It's a phony trinity. Satan postures himself as he's always wanted to do as a phony God. And he has a beast which is a phony Christ. I see in this passage three observations about God that tell me he's at work in all this. He's behind it. He's ordering it. He's permitting it. He's structuring it so that two results occur. Number one, he is worshipped by his saints throughout time and across the globe. You'll see that. He is worshipped by his saints throughout time and across the globe. That's what God is doing. The second thing he's doing is he is purifying his church even by using the work of the enemy for good. Those two things God is at work doing. And you'll see that. So here are my three observations as I break verses 1 through 10 into three paragraphs. Observation 1, God permits counterfeit worship to highlight his son. You'll see that in verses 1 through 4. God permits counterfeit worship to highlight his son. Second, God limits evil according to his perfect plan in his son. God puts limits on evil according to his perfect plan in his son. And third, God submits his church to suffering to fully purify her for his son. God submits his church to suffering to fully purify her for his son. So God permits, God limits, and God submits. Here we go. Verses 1 through 4. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, and ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet like a bear's feet, and its mouth like a lion's mouth. To the dragon, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. That's what's coming. This is breathtaking. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? I take the beast to be an actual person. It's an actual human being. It's it's copying like a mirror image the very horns and heads of the dragon. It's just like the way Christ is the, the image of the Father. Here this beast intentionally takes the image of Satan. I don't think that means it's going to be a deformed individual. I think it means it's an individual who says, I want my whole life and existence to follow after and mirror perfectly the way Satan functions. I want to steal, kill, and destroy just like he does. It bears blasphemous names on its heads, like the way the Caesars called themselves divine. Herod received worship and calling himself a god. Current heads of state are calling themselves the great son of life, like the president of North Korea does. This beast is a grotesque figure, mingling together a leopard and bear's feet, lion's mouth, and it wields power from a throne of authority that God permits 
the dragon to have in the first place, and now the dragon passes it on to the beast. So this beast is a copy of a copy, a replica of a phony, and it exerts supremacy by its political authority. This grotesque beast is drawing from the four different beasts Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2 and following, and all of those beasts are combined together into this one grotesque and ugly being, this ten-horned, bear-lion, leopard-like being who is ruling intentionally over all the earth. But as with Daniel, God permitted these kingdoms or this one large amalgamated kingdom to rise, but ultimately He will send His kingdom through His Son, Jesus Christ, and demolish and defeat and overthrow them all. This beast is the Antichrist John talks about in 1 John 2.18. Children, it is the last hour you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. It's the very 2 Thessalonians 2.3, man of lawlessness and son of destruction that Paul talks about. It's a person coming who will try to amass the world together by removing all distinctions, no gender, no family, no heaven, no hell, no religion, no countries, no ethnicities. Through artificial intelligence, internet propaganda, massive military, indoctrination, and probably glitzy technology, and whatever else he may have at his disposal, he will try to replace God and Christ and the design of God's design for nature and humanity with, that you see in the Bible. All of that will be rejected by the beast and much more. And blind billions will follow. It says the whole world will worship him. Look at how they say it in verse 4. And they worship the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, now look at these two questions. These are completely and accurately and intentionally taken from Moses' song in Exodus 15, where Moses sang of God's great salvation in rescuing Israel out of Egypt. These are twisted and applied to the beast. Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Meaning, the beast is unique and above all others and stronger than anyone else. And they say that because this beast will somehow have a mortal wound and recover from it. Some think this is uh, the Roman government going away for a time and being restored. Some think this will be expressed in some other appearance of resurrection. When in fact what Moses wrote in Exodus 15.11 was to Yahweh God Himself, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in your deeds, doing wonders? God is truly awesome. The beast is completely a phony. He's completely a blasphemous counterfeit and imposter. But you know what's wonderful? You and I don't need to know who this beast is. We don't need to know when he's coming. We don't need to know how he's going to function. All we need to know is we worship God. We need no other comers. We need to know that at the landing and in your household and in mine, we worship the living God, and we're not going to receive anybody else to take our worship from the living God. We're ready. We're willing to go out in public. Oh, may this be true for you and me. We'll go out in public, and we'll lift our voice. We'll pray on the street corners. We'll set up our, our music and our preaching and our food and our games and our, and our prayer and our banners down in, in Leif Erickson Park. And we'll stand there out in the open right by Lake Superior with people walking by. We'll go on TV if they want us to. They wouldn't let us maybe, but if they cared to. 
We'll speak openly. We'll get our podcasts out on the internet and we'll say Jesus Christ is Lord. And we love it so. We worship him. My challenge to you, one of the most practical challenges is that sometime you will find in your opportunity this week where you will open your mouth and say, Jesus Christ is Lord and I worship him somewhere, somehow. Would you do it? Such a grace now to enable and embolden and strengthen and equip us to talk like this so that on the day when massive hordes of people are following after this beast, we will stand firm like a, like a tree right in the middle of a flood. It doesn't move one bit because its roots are deeper and stronger than the floodwaters around it. And we will stand there firm against the tide. You can imagine in the universities, at work, online, in politics, in celebrity, entertainment culture, media, business, education, all across the spheres, medicine, all across the spheres of our culture, you can see the rising disdain for science. Do you ever think you'd live long enough to see science be disdained? Science is being disdained. The, the true, accurate statements of how human bodies work, that's being disdained. And in all those fears, the truth about the way human relationships is being disdained, and the truth about sin is being disdained, and the truth about right and wrong is being disdained. And the entire narrative is being replaced with another one that everyone must say, or they not only don't get promoted, they may even lose their job and reputation or more. You must say what the beast terrifies you into saying. Fearing the beast is so profoundly the, the currency of, of the way the world will work from now on until the intensity rises to its maximum just prior to Christ's arrival. God permits counterfeit worship to highlight and to solidify the worship of His Son. Now look at verses 5 through 8. God limits the work of all evil for His plan. I get that from verses 5 through 8. And the beast was given a mouth. Notice the was givens. You could even underline them if you do in your Bible. They're all God's divine passives. The kind of thing being given, it only comes from God. He's the only one who has the authority over it and power over it. And it always serves the purpose of God. It never serves the purposes of the devil. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. See that word allowed? It's the same Greek word as was given. Four times the same word is used in this paragraph. The devil doesn't want to limit his work for 42 months. That's God's design. The limit of the time of the church reflecting the ministry of Jesus. Verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. This blasphemy is against those in heaven and against God Himself. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints who are alive on the earth. We know from Revelation 14, the saints are anybody who believes in Jesus. And this allowed is God's doing the allowing, verse 7. God allows the beast to make war on the saints and to conquer them. What does that conquer mean? To turn saints into, into blasphemers, apostatizing? No, to kill them. That's what it means. 
We know from Revelation 1, 2, and 3 that saints in the Asian churches have been already killed for their faith. We know from Revelation 6, the martyrs are gathering around the throne saying, how long, O Lord? This is just restating what has been said all the way through from Jesus' ministry. They will hate you just as they hated me. They will kill you just as they killed me. The beast is allowed to make war on the saints to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe, people, language, and nation. That's intentional. It's the very same breadth of the kind of worship God will gather from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. This is a global event, brothers and sisters. Now look at verse 8, all important verse 8. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. What a wonderful verse. If you want a place to find the hope that your salvation is absolutely secure and on the day when you will be forced with all human and spiritual pressure to denounce Christ and to worship the beast, trust in this. All whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life will not worship the beast, but they will worship God. There is such hope here. This is the hope I'm counting on. I'm not counting on my mood. I'm not counting on my self Improvement efforts. I'm not counting on my skill. I'm not counting on my decisions. I'm not counting on my personality or even anybody other human beings. I'm counting on this promise. All who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. It is having your name written in the book of life of the Lamb that empowers and enables you to stand firm for Christ to the end. This is the limiting. God limits it for 42 months. He limits it in that, he, that Satan and the beast do not have the power to turn and make saints apostatize, only to kill them. One interpreter said, the Christian life is not an effort to try to keep ourselves alive, but to keep ourselves in love with the Lord Jesus. God's limiting power limits the time and it limits the scope It limits the people across every language, tongue, and nation that the beast can influence, and ultimately the effect of how much the beast can even affect or or harm the saints. He can only kill us. He cannot cause us to turn and worship him. And all that because John says several times in Revelation, we'll get to them as we go through the book, that there's this book that God has written in and planned to sacrifice the slaying of His Son, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ the righteous, before the foundation of the world. This just blows my mind. I don't have this all figured out. I hope you don't feel like you do either. I don't think anyone can. But what I'm willing to say without equivocation or fear is that my security for the future rests in God having written my name in His book before the foundation of the world. That ought to thrill you with words beyond your own ability to say. That ought to make you say, 
I want to worship that God forever. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing His praise. Having your name written in the book of life is what keeps you from worshiping the beast. Every blessing that we've enjoyed, every hope fulfilled, every gospel benefit purchased for us, our place in heaven, the body of Christ, conquering of habits of sin, growth in godliness, joy upon joy, blessing upon blessing, all these were purchased by Christ by His death on the cross, and this verse says that God wrote in His book and planned that Christ would die in history 2,000 years ago, and all that was planned and set in motion before the foundation of the world. That's before the world was created. That's before human beings and sin happened. That's before the devil himself was created. The devil comes into the garden and tempts Adam and Eve and thinks he's thwarting God's plan, and all he's doing is enacting it. Praise His name, the name of our God. Revelation tells us plainly that the security that we have on the day of our crisis when we will be pressured and forced to worship a beast is that our name was written in the Lamb's book of life and that we are thereby empowered to worship the one true God, Jesus Christ, as Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength forever. Third, God submits His church to suffering to fully purify her for His Son. To talk like that will be hate, will be to awaken hatred in others against us. To boldly resist worshiping the beast will call upon those who enforce the wishes of the beast to bring about not only cancellation and deletion, but murder and killing. And even that will be under God's wise and sovereign providential control. He will be the one submitting His church to such severe suffering, even death. Look at verses 9 and 10. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. This is a quote from Isaiah and Jeremiah. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Just because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life doesn't lead you to the wrong and and fleshly conclusion that you can somehow act then uh, in a a coasting and cavalier manner. No, no, no. If you are actually written in the Lamb's book of life, you will say, I want to do all I can do to endure and to establish and strengthen my faith, readying myself for the day when captivity or the sword are my God-appointed lot. It's like Tom said at the beginning of our service providentially, Queen Esther saying, if I perish, I perish. This is the same thing. I am ready for whatever God has appointed best for me in order that my purification might be complete as I enter into His presence. This is what Paul meant when he said to the Corinthians, all things are yours All things are yours. Don't fear death. Don't fear what happens in life. Don't fear any other person because all things are yours, believers in Corinth. Whether Paul or Apollos, Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. 
and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. He said the very same idea to the Philippians. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. John then, with sober and hopeful warning, is telling the church, the beast might be God-permitted to bring a sword and captivity against you. He might even be permitted to take your life. But your job is not to preserve your life, but to stay white-hot in your love for Christ. There is something far worse than dying, and that's dying without the knowledge that you are Christ's. So here is a call for endurance in the faith of the saints. Here is a call to live out this security and hope that we have. Here is a call to obey right to the very end. Oh, Lord, give us endurance. Help us to have Bible studies and prayer meetings and Sunday schools and emails and sermons and songs and and embraces and meals and buildings and and every ministry to the, the St. Louis County and Duluth Superior area and all the surrounding regions. Let us have every ministry to the ends of the earth to nation and tribe and tongue and people that will foster and strengthen the endurance and faith of the saints right to the very end. Revelation 3.21, The one who conquers I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now some of you maybe are coming to this point and we're nearly done and you're saying, There's a twinge of fear inside me. I'm not sure if I'm in the book. I'm dealing with a twinge of fear, and I'm not sure if I'm in the book. You know what the Bible word for that twinge of fear is? Thirst. Listen. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Revelation 22, 17. The Bible word for that twinge going on inside your soul, it's a beautiful, precious twinge. I hope if it's there, that's God saying, come, you're thirsty for me. Worship me now with your mouth open. Jesus Christ is Lord and I worship him. And that will equip and prepare you for the day when that will be your very determination of your your eternity and your destiny. John himself was tempted for a moment, wasn't he? After he had seen the great justice of God against all the sinful beasts, after he was assured of all that the angel, either Michael or Gabriel, was telling him about the conclusion of the world in Revelation 19, John sees this beautiful picture of justice being finally accomplished and all God's purposes fulfilled. And the angel who's next to him had told him about this, and John bows down. He says in Revelation 19, I fell down at the feet of the angel to worship him. That's the real issue here, isn't this? Do you worship a fallen angel like the devil and his beast? Do you worship an exalted angel like Michael or Gabriel? Or do you worship God? 
But he, the angel, said to me, you must not do that. That's the whole point of this book was written, so you don't do that. Don't bow and worship anybody, John, except Christ alone. I am a fellow servant, the angel says, with you and your brothers, who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So just resolve it in your heart right now that you're never going to worship anybody but God. Don't worship any dead people. Don't worship any living people. Don't worship any ideas or any countries. Don't worship any presidents. Don't worship any singers or preachers. Don't worship anybody but God. Just set it in your heart that you're going to worship God and you're going to worship God alone and you're going to call that out from your spouse and your children and your parents and your co-workers and your schoolmates, friends, even your enemies. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Revelation 13 and its call to ready our hearts for worshiping you both now and in the days ahead. Surely there will be antichrists providing all manner of tests to pressure us not to worship you. There's all kinds of pressure even now in our lives not to speak openly about our worship of Jesus in the public sphere. Would you embolden us? And would you give us opportunities to share with one another all the many wonderful ways we were able to worship Jesus in public this week? And ready us, Lord, with this joyful task of worshiping you for the day in which it will be a crisis worship. That to stand in a room like this and to lift our hands and sing songs of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ will be considered an act of sedition and we will be in grave danger for it. I pray, Father, that in Jesus' name you will embolden every single person in the hearing of my voice, no matter where they might be on that day, to stand firm and worship God. And Lord, I pray that you would enable me and my precious family and this faith family and believers throughout this city and around the world to freely, happily, joyfully, and boldly worship Jesus Christ with our mouths open. No participants, no, no mere observers, all our participants. The dividing line cuts sharp and clear between those who will worship Christ and those who worship the beast. And we worship Christ. It's in His sweet and precious name we pray and now sing. Amen. Would you stand?